Hello, and welcome to JK It's Magic, a bi-weekly podcast in which two bookish besties read YA fantasy through a critical lens. Why? Because critique is our fangirl love language, and because talking about books is pretty magical. I'm Jesse, And I'm Kelly. And today, we're diving into a brand new release, The Descendant of the Crane by Joan Hay. And full disclosure, we got Electronic Arcs, advanced reader copies from Edelweiss for this book, but I think we should be releasing this kind of on schedule with when the book is published, correct? Yes. Um, But what follows is an honest discussion of our thoughts and impressions of the novel. So Descendant of the Crane tells the story of Hasina, a princess who is thrust into the spotlight after her father, the king of Yan, is found dead. Unconvinced by the announcement that there was no foul play involved in her father's death, Hasina starts an inquiry, which is sort of an investigation slash trial, to find out the truth. Along the way, she meets the enigmatic Akira, who acts as her representative, aka lawyer, um, but there's more to him than meets the eye. Combine the inquiry with political unrest with the neighboring country of Kendia, a corrupt corruption in Hasina's court, and hatred of sooths, which are people with magical abilities threatening to explode into mob quote-unquote justice, aka just violent mobs searching out sooths and killing them. Um, suffice it to say that Hasina is in way over her head, and shenanigans ensue. And we're left with a cliffhanger ending. What did you think of the novel? I enjoyed the book. It was a fun, quick read. I really enjoyed the magic, the fight scenes, and the complicated relationship between the characters. I did have a difficult time with the timeline, which didn't seem well laid out in a way that was apparent to me as the reader. I never knew how long we had been somewhere or things were happening, like how long they were happening for. Um, I was never really sure how much time was passing between events. But overall, I liked the characters and the complicated nature, nature of the relationships between them. What about you? I agree with you on a lot of those counts. I It was different. This book was different, I think, than anything I've read, at least in recent memory. It wasn't like a typical chosen one story arc. There were some elements of that, but right. there were a lot of plot twists I didn't see coming. Um, it's been a while since I've read a mystery style novel for fun. I've been reading crime fiction for a research that I'm doing right now, but that's like a whole other reading experience. Um, I loved the magical system and kept wanting to know more. And we'll talk about that later. But I agree with you that the timing was a bit confusing, um, and overall it was a fun read. I would read the second one. If there's another novel in the series, I would read the rest of the series. Yeah, I would too, because I really want to know what happens. Because <laughs> we did get this very, it was a lot of microcosmic world building right. plot laying the foundations for the larger, I think, arc of the yeah. entire story. Yeah. But we'll see. We'll see. Book. Time to talk about all things world building in Through the Wardrobe. Um, let's start with talking about how this world has a monarchy um, that is decided, and the monarch is decided by birth order, uh, but the reigning monarch doesn't actually appear to hold all that much power. Um, Hasina is not above the law, which we see at the end of the book where she is tried for treason. Um, she seems to be beholden to her ministers and that she needs their permission to do certain things. Um, and people don't know what people don't do what she wants just because she asks or tell them to, for mm-hmm. example, she, she, Zhang, um, was appointed. Like, why can't Hasina get rid of him and replace him with someone better? or different, or more in line with her views. 
I felt like I kind of needed a civics course right? a little bit right. to understand how these different parts of the um, government were working together. Mm-hmm. It was like maybe constitutional-ish monarchy right. with the tenants being like a governing document and then people interpreting the tenants, which kind of sounds like the judicial branch interpreting the constitution. But then it seems like Xia Zhang was a cabinet member right. or, or minister or something. So I'm not really sure if it's like a prime minister and then other ministers is there a representative body are there like mps like members of parliament right i really didn't understand exactly how that worked even hasina's guards would do things like would pull her out of a situation even if she said not to or the doctor i think they called her the doctress yeah um she didn't always listen to what hasina wanted for herself and as far as like her medical care went which just seemed odd to me when hasina seems to also be in charge of everyone so, yeah, I don't really understand how her power as the monarch really works. Which I think is really, that's it, kind of an interesting depiction of court life. Right? right. Like the murkiness of where the power resides and how even perhaps in S with absolute monarchy, it's still not 100% clear right. who makes all the decisions and who has the last word. Yeah. But it was an interesting thing to put in. I don't think I've seen a monarchy depicted in this way before. Um, so right. I kind of it's usually it. yeah it's usually much more black and white yeah well like I've watched the crown so I kind of understand how like English monarchy works but the queen doesn't really have that much power realistically so like lots of social capital but right. not a lot of like I guess she does hold some political sway honestly right. but mm-hmm. I guess the norms of keeping oneself out of government even right if you could in theory insert yourself more into the politics happening right yeah (laughs) it was that was a little bit confusing but i don't think that that counts against the novel's construction necessarily Mm -mm. no because i also um the author is chinese and so i don't know anything about former chinese like Chinese history to know if they've had monarchies in the past and how those monarchies worked. So oh, yeah, they definitely have. Imper- right. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know how they work. I mean, yeah, like Imperial China, right. With a bunch of different monarchs. And- so maybe I should just look that up. Yeah. See how it worked. And maybe that will correlate with how the, it goes in the story. Probably. Yeah. I'll look it up. <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, I'll put will. it in the show notes. <laughs> Along those same lines, I we can't not talk about the fact that this novel Includes radical armed revolution by the lower classes. How happy are you? Oh my God, so happy. <laughs> but but then another oppressive monarchical system replaces a previous oppressive monarchical system. And this was kind of odd to me. Not like critiquing the choice right. on the author's part, just the odd, I guess, because in I, I guess I'm just more learning from revolutionary and radical discourse that talks about disrupting these sorts of logics of domination and Mm -hmm. like power dynamics that are founded upon domination. Bell Hooks talks a lot about this. Mm -hmm. Um, And so one thing I think the novel does really effectively is shows how if those logics of domination aren't interrupted and agitated against, then you're just going to reproduce another oppressive power structure. I wonder if like the system they had in place before was more of an absolute monarchy where the monarch was actually in charge and they switched to this like, you know, uh, constitutional monarchy where they don't wait. Is that what it's called? Yeah. I, I think that that would be like a, a 
parallel to what's happening. Right. I don't think that's what, that's not what it's called in the novel. Right. Right. But I wonder if that's what happened. They gave less power to the monarch, but still wanted a figurehead in charge. Yeah. Well, cause it seemed like the original mon the old regime mm-hmm. was a monarchy that exploited the sooths. Right. In order to keep themselves in power. Right. And then this revolution happened and the 11 were a, I guess, rebellion group. Seems like it. And it seemed like they were the leaders of a larger rebellion. It seemed like they had more backing also, like popular backing. Right. And then they orchestrated this overthrow of the government. Right. But that does then create a power vacuum. And so then what happens? This same, like these structures get repeated. Right, right. And the, but we do have the governing document, the tenants, which I right. don't, which didn't, that sort of document didn't exist in the previous system. Right. I think you're right about that. Yeah. And then that, the tenants seem to hold all the power. They base everything off of that, no matter, no matter what, which I, and, and I imagine a, a piece of work like that can't attribute, like can't take into account every possibility, you know? So it's kind of interesting the way that they like manipulate the words or the meaning of the document mm-hmm. of whatever suits them best. It reminds me of discussions like juridical discussions now in the United States about the constitution being a living document, and right. meeting, like the importance of the judicial branch to interpret what that means. And like, that's what judges and lawyers right. are arguing about and do. Right. Yeah. About laws, but also the Supreme court does it about the constitution. Right. Yeah. So. And like, what do what do these words mean mm-hmm. or what do they mean for us now? Right. Yeah. That's a good point. Maybe they need some of that. <laughs> yeah, it's not ju- working out real well. Yeah, that judicial branch. I'm not <laughs> that investigation. Yeah, speaking of the investigation bureau, um, it seems pretty unique in that all the representatives or lawyers get all the same evidence, which I think should make the trials more fair. Um, in that once one side can't hide anything from the other, which we see in modern day, you know, lawyers will just hide things from each other. You know, they don't have to tell the other party. Um, but we see this fall apart in that the investigation bureau decides what evidence is provided. Um, and since their system is corrupted with ministers with their own agenda, guilt seems predetermined. So their society seems more like they believe a person is guilty until proven innocent, which I thought was so it's so very different from. OK, well, it's not really that different from the way ours works, but <laughs> it's very different than the way it's supposed to be perceived to work like the how it works in practice is very different than what ha- in principle right how it should work exactly um and we kind of see this with um jia zhang he's obviously manipulating the information that the representatives get um i also wasn't sure if there was a representative for each party is it is akira just the only representative present no there's a representative for it sounded like a it was like essentially a prosecution and a defense. Right. But at one point, Akira takes up the right. defense of the, of what was her name? May? M-E-I? May? Mm-hmm. Um, when she's framed. Oh, right. For this. Oh, because the other person, the other representative is just like, I have nothing to say. A puppet. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. The, the investigation was so frustrating, and I think it's supposed to be, right? right. Because Hasina is also feeling those frustrations. So is the reader. We're feeling those, too. Of Just, like, how corrupt it is and how opaque all the sorts of, like, bureaucratic norms are. Right. Ugh. So frustrating. I mean, it's probably commentary on our own justice system as well, because mm-hmm. you do see this all the time with lawyers who don't care when they're, you know, when someone who is 
we don't know if they're innocent or guilty is given a terrible lawyer who's putting no time or effort into their case. Right. And I did think it was telling that Hasina was able to manipulate the system and get the representative right. she wanted. I thought that was a little bit of a commentary on how people with more power, whether right. that's wealth, social capital, whatever, can make systems work better for them. Yeah, of course. Because she had something that she could give to Xia Zhang. Right. Whereas someone else, I'm guessing like Mei, wouldn't have anything to give him to, mm-hmm. you know, convince him not to do whatever. Yeah doesn't it strike you as incredibly serendipitous that we're discussing this novel the morning after the (laughs) the Mueller report drops yeah I didn't really think about that but it it is but also I'm like when am I going to get the information well that's what's so wild about it the I highly recommend that um, the daily the new york times podcast has done a few different segments on the Mueller report i love that podcast it's <laughs> like what it might happen what potential fallout is like interviewing people and well we don't know it was so Mueller gave it to Barr, right who's the a- attorney general right no he's I'm the head of the justice department. i'm not sure <laughs> yeah is the attorney general the head of justice department civics people i, I don't, don't know the internet Here, will help i'll us. just look it up real quick um we can edit this out <laughs> we can edit the, the looking up out. you mean i can <laughs> yeah exactly i say we i mean you okay we'll find out who he is so what happened is Mueller gave it to Barr, william Barr, and then he's the head of the Justice department and he decides how much of that report to be released will be released to congress attorney general he's the okay so i knew yeah so he's the attorney general who's the head of the Justice department <laughs> um so we don't know what's in it still right that's what's so wild i was talking to my partner yesterday i was like so there's so much hype about this report getting released and then it gets released and we still don't know anything. Well, and it's really strange too. Like, I don't know what's going to be in it because both sides are saying, yeah, release the report. And I'm like, it's either going to be really bad. And like the Republicans are so over all this Trump bullshit. They're they're like, let's just get rid of him. Like if we can. No, two chicken shit. That won't happen. Yeah, I don't think so. But the the Democrats are also like, yeah, release it. And I'm like, oh my God, please don't be making a huge mistake. Like, please don't just be saying release it. And then there's like nothing it's I, I just thinking about talking I don't know that happened yesterday and I knew we were recording today right and uh it's just like kind of wild that the you, that that happened right when we're talking about this book which happens to be about like trials and corruption yeah. and how you don't really know what's going on behind those doors and how those bureaucratic norms can and or can be manipulated and how much do we know if they're being manipulated and yeah just so complicated it is also why do they get to decide what i do and don't know well some of it's that's that's the weird thing is like because then trump why did i even say his name the 45 is going to try (laughs) and uh redact some things because of executive privilege and there's this like long-standing but how do they decide what we get to know? That's what I'm wondering. It's literally just up to William Barr. He decides. This is ridiculous. It is. I'm so annoyed. I'm so annoyed at this country. It's it's terrible and I hate it sometimes. <laughs> Should we go back to the novel? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Back back to the actual story. <laughs> um, something I really appreciated um, was the depiction of clothes in this story. Um, I know in other instances, me personally, I have been annoyed by overly detailed depictions of 
clothing. And I learned that I prefer when the author puts words native in the place to the place that we're reading about in italics. And then it's either on me to look them up or know what the author is talking about. Also, I feel like Hay made some things very obvious through context, like the way the garments were put on. So like by describing the way someone would put on the specific garment, I didn't even have to look up what it looked like because like that is what told me how it works. And I really appreciated that. That's all I have to say. (laughs) I think we're learning about clothing, about different types of clothing. Like I know what a raccoon is, which I wouldn't have known otherwise before reading both Girls with Paper and Fire and Descendant of the Crane. Yeah. And I also looked some stuff up, which I was like, cool. Now I know what this looks like forever and ever, hopefully. (laughs) We don't actually see this happening, but there is some talk about conscription. Um, So forcing people to enlist in military service. And I feel like that's not something we talk about a lot in the United States, even though it's happened once, twice. The draft and the Vietnam War. Yeah. Um, But I thought it was interesting when uh, Hasina was talking about it. It wasn't just forcing men into the military. It seemed to be men and women, Mm -hmm. which which is something we don't do here in the United States. No, but that is common. um, I think in Israel, they have a draft that they have conscription, like mandatory military service that... um, for whatever gender you are, I believe. I think it's everyone has to do it for a certain amount of years. Uh, yeah, and I think, I'm not sure, I think it might only be men in Korea, South Korea. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure about North Korea. Me either. Um, but yeah, you're right. I haven't seen that in very many novels. Yeah. This this book was very, like, I, I know we'll talk about gender later, but it seemed to be very equal standing between men and women within this world, which I appreciated. Absolutely. You wanted to talk about the crown prince of Kendia. Yes. I was very confused. This was one of the like confusing points of the novel for me. So maybe maybe you'll be able to explain it. Maybe you are also confused. We'll find out. What is the crown prince of Kendia crown prince of? Kendia. Yeah, but is it a neighboring country? Yes. Okay. Also, wouldn't it be like more like polite, that's in quotation marks, to have one ruler meet with another instead of sending a representative in their place? Like, where is his parent? Why aren't they meet? Like, Hasina's the queen. Why isn't the king or queen of Kendia coming to meet with her? Do they have... I don't know. I guess I didn't really even consider that. It seems like the crown prince is the one who has the power. But but that's not how crown princes work, right? Because, like... I don't know. Crown princes can have a lot of power, I think. Yeah, but isn't someone in charge like Hasina before her dad died she was the crown princess well I think whoever the figurehead is isn't necessarily running things right I was just convi- very confused about his role in all of this like I don't know why he's coming to talk to the person he's the villain that's why hmm is he though <laughs> hmm we don't really see him for that long I mean but the stuff like his plans and stuff I think yeah Either way, I had some confusion about which places were neighboring countries and which places were part of Yan. I, I was just a little confused. Maybe because I read it over like a long span of time, like over two weeks. Did you forget some stuff? Possibly. The crown prince thing like really threw me off for some reason. Hmm. I was like, I don't think this is how crown princes work. Would it have thrown you off if it were king? No. Okay. Because you're just confused about, like, the power dynamics in the neighboring country. Yeah, because I even looked it up, and the crown prince is the person who is below the king or queen. Well, they can still have power, though. 
Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how it works. Like kind of how Senjing runs the military in Yan. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I was just confused. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> the book added some Chinese characters when I think Hasina is reading the original tenants. And I thought that was really cool, even if I couldn't read it. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. I'm all for more linguistic diversity and yeah. making native English speakers read other languages. Yeah. Okay. I could not read those characters at all, but. But at least have access to yeah. like proximity to non-English, which I feel like American cultural imperialism really uh, is very good at right. pushing away other languages and keeping them out of our like direct contact. I also appreciated how this, um, like distances were measured differently. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, it, it was just like all this stuff that I, I guess it kind of made me realize how much I take for granted. Right. The current measurement systems that we have in place. Yeah. And you're like, no, those are also like someone made those up too. It's just consensus. And we all decide to dis yeah. that like a second is a second. Right. And that, a mile is a mile or a meter is a meter. You know but also I mean? barely consensus. Aren't we the only ones using miles? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yes, that's true. I don't know how far a kilometer is. That's just like a hundred <laughs> miles, right? There's 2.7 kilometers in a mile. Yeah, that seems about right. I don't know. You don't, you just said you don't know. <laughs> I appreciate I, your faith in me though. <laughs> I just trust you and I kind of know where it is on my car, like kilometers per hour versus miles per hour, you know? This is very exact, precise. Yeah. It's science. <laughs> That's right. Science <laughs> listeners. So I went down a tiny research rabbit hole this episode. <laughs> Jesse's laughing at me. About the symbolism of cranes in Chinese culture. So I, um, my superior sleuthing abilities <laughs> <laughs> told me or made my like spidey senses go off. And it's like, it's in the title. It's probably important. So I looked it up. Um, yay research. I guess I didn't realize how important they were. So after this little bit of, you know, research, I learned that besides the phoenix, in Chinese culture, the crane is one of the most important symbols that signifies peace and longevity and even, wait for it, immortality. <laughs> so, really? Yeah. So that makes sense. <laughs> A lot of sense in the context of this novel. Yes. And also... Um, well, since Hesina discovers that her parents are immortal, that was like a mind blown for me. I didn't see that coming at all. I didn't see it coming even a little bit. I was shocked. And then it made, and then I was like, oh, then when her mom says they tried to kill themselves and so then the scar on her neck right. and it's like, whoa, that got dark really quick. It really did. <laughs> anyway, back to cranes. Cranes, there's also like a series of meanings behind the different positions of the cranes like if you'll see them in a tapestry or in like a, a work of art or a piece of like a ceramic piece mm -hmm. then the position that the crane in is in means different things like if it's perched a certain way or facing a certain way or flying or if there's two cranes or however many yeah it's kind of cool that is really cool yeah it's, it's pretty neat wands out let's discuss all things magic so the big magic, and well, maybe not the biggest, but there are soothsayers in this book, which is really cool. Not a word you hear often, <laughs> unless you're reading like 
Shakespeare. <laughs> uh, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, sooth originally means truth or verity. Oh. Which makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because they have to tell the truth or suffer consequences. Yeah, they they get like years off their life if they don't tell the truth. Right. But extra years for telling the truth. I think that's really, that's so cool. And then also it makes a lot of sense because this novel, the first, I looked at the first page, back mm-hmm. at the first page and it's all about truth. Oh. It's talking about what truth is and how it's the first thing we betray and all that stuff. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. But I really like that they were soothsayers in the book. I, I think I normally think of them as like more like, I guess they do tell the future in this book, but it's very complicated by all the like number of possibilities. So I thought it was really interesting to see how like humans and their decisions and every little thing comes into like that we come into contact with really changes our decisions for like so for like um the soothsayer sometimes they might not know exactly what happens but they'll know like these are the 10 possibilities of what could happen Mm -hmm. i really like that or about how the truth what they see is what they they can see it from their current vantage point right in time that doesn't I, I love how the system makes room. It, it's like predicting the future, but at the same time makes room for agency right. and randomness and how the world works. Yeah. I mean, there are patterns to behavior, right? But there's also people that are going to do things that we don't expect. Or there's going right. to be factors that come in that you, it, it, it made people be able to tell the future without being omnipotent. Right. Which I liked. I wonder if like, if a sooth is closer to a person, like they have knowledge of their um like habits and the way they think and that sort of thing if they can better tell what a future outcome because they know the normal ways in which a person would act oh that's a good question i think that maybe cayenne yeah. was doing that because of his orchestrating everything yeah behind the scenes and there's some be, seem to be some places where he seems surprised and i think some of that is akira coming into the picture and that kind of mm, maybe put things off balance a little bit because um hasina is seeing things in a different way yeah and hasina's character development right which i don't think is something that her adopted brother plans for no and i guess he doesn't realize that she has found out that her parents are immortal and that maybe she's immortal and all the there's a lot that she's also keeping from him so that probably because she hadn't been in the past that would change how she thinks or acts or makes decisions as well and how effective his planning and scheming would be right I kept wanting to more to know more and see more magic. It was almost like dangling. <laughs> like, but I want to know more. I I just think it's so fucking cool how this magical system is about manipulating time, and that's wild when you think that time is a fourth dimension, right? So we have three dimensions, and then time would be a fourth dimension, and about how they're essentially like kind of how the Grisha in Bardugo's books manipulate matter, right? these the soothsayers are manipulating time right and that has ripple effects or butterfly effect in other like types of matter i don't it's just what i think it's so cool it's also cool when you think about it because um i used to go to school with this person who i did not like um but they were always quoting kant about like time being a social construct or whatever and that was also always really annoying to me (laughs) um (laughs) just putting out there weird pretentious this uh, i'm not here for it really but um when you think about like time actually having an effect on people and like how it can be manipulated i think that's really cool yeah what well, is i mean 
it is a social construct. Like it's a second is only a second because we right. decide that it is. But we also know like time exists because we can see changes over time. Yeah, that's true. I think sometimes we give things words and sometimes people like push back against what those words mean. And you're like, no, there is meaning. Not everything is relative. Yeah. Don't be a dickhead. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Did the suits remind you of the augers at all from An Ember in the Ashes by Sabatier? Oh, I didn't think about that. Maybe they reminded me less of them in that they weren't like old and creepy and like like with papery skin right, and, and red eyes. They didn't seem to be trying to manipulate people <laughs> like the augers. But I guess in a in a way they kind of are very similar, especially um Kai what is it? Kayan. Kayan. He um is obviously using his powers to manipulate Hasina and everyone around him. So yeah. Oh now I feel gross about him. <laughs> <laughs> the suits I, I one thing I think we have to talk about in the when we're talking about magic is how it's exploited in this particular novel. Yeah. And the people in power are using the suits, whether that's using their magical powers or which was how the old regime did it and how the Kendia is doing it. Right. Um, or they're using them as like a rallying cry mm -hmm. as like a, we are us, not them, right. which is how this new regime that Hasina's parents established is. Um, just that they they're pawns and they're means to an end in any like any way you swing it. Wands, Wands away. away. Now we're going to talk about conflict, villains, and good versus evil in our segment. Get me Kylo Ren. Um, so Shia Zhang is an official who stands to profit um, if Yan goes to war. I think officials shouldn't be allowed to invest in the results um, if the results is they want bad things for their country. I found this like infuriating to see this. Yeah. I don't believe in lobbyists. Let me let me just say a few things. I don't like how like lobbyists can lobby for like terrible things. And I feel like our representatives should not be allowed to take money from them. And that's probably what gets us into the state of affairs that we're in currently. You should just clusterfuck, you mean? Yeah, yeah, a huge clusterfuck. So, <laughs> like, you probably, as someone who's supposed to be looking out for the best interest of a place, not be able to take money from people who are like, let me tell you what your best interest is. Mm -hmm. It's some bullshit. Yeah. We can link to um, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez's excellent questioning and, like, about dark money in politics yeah. that happened, I think it was early February of this year, of 2019. Um, some awesome there was like an awesome video of her that went viral she was just killing it and i stay on aoc until further notice <laughs> fucking keep slaying do it <laughs> this um your point about Sha Zhang is also makes me think about this um not just corruption in politics or like money in politics in general but the specific case of what eisenhower in 1961 coined the term military industrial complex and how war is profitable yeah and if the government gives money to companies or to other individual actors in order for them to more effectively wage war, it's just kind of this positive feedback loop. It's just going to keep happening. Yeah. It's terrible. 
yeah it's garbage this country is a shit show a lot of the time <laughs> come, um, come you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah so maybe people in charge shouldn't be taking money from other people right maybe just take your salary and like calm down this novel it just really cut i think masterfully shows how the extent of corruption and how that really it, it just made me think about all these sorts of things happening in my current con in our like our current right. context and uh, like along those same lines there's no laws in the united states only precedents and norms that the president has to divest any of their assets who yeah. that might create conflicts of interest something that our current the 45 didn't do because there were no laws saying yeah. that he had to yeah um it's just i i really like how the how joan hay is using ya fantasy mm -hmm. to i guess lay out all, all these different right. conflicts and this is why ya is important and like you should read it until that you're you're like old and forever forever and ever forever and ever yeah it kind of reminded me a little bit too um so I'm a huge MCU fan, as you know. Um, <laughs> but in season three of Daredevil, and I don't know if this is true. Maybe I'll look it up so we can find out. But they showed that like FBI agents can't get promoted if they are having like money troubles, like if they're in a lot of debt, which I think is one kind of terrible because like how are you supposed to get out of debt if you don't make more money? But it was supposed to be a way to keep them from being... Um, like influenced by outside forces to do terrible things which then is exactly what happens in the story sorry for spoilers if you haven't seen season three thanks jesse you're welcome kelly loves spoilers <laughs> she do. doesn't mean it i'm not mad at all <laughs> um but in that way i kind of see how like yeah maybe you shouldn't be allowed to take money from people so that you can continue to do terrible things can we talk about the crown prince of kendia some more yes He's using fear to his advantage. And I just think it's it's so villainous and evil how he's using this rhetoric of safe haven so right. that sooths from Jan will come will flee and be refugees in his own country. And then he just enslaves them and uses them for his military campaigns. That is so evil. It is terrible. And at the same time, I didn't feel like he was that big of a presence throughout the novel for me reading it for some reason. I was just like, why do they keep talking about this dumb crown prince? Like, we saw him for, like, five seconds. I think they're setting it up for the rest of the novels. I think they are, too. I don't know why. I just, like, really didn't make that connection. I think the Chia Zhang stuff really, like, got to me. I was like, fuck this guy. <laughs> so flustered. I know. <laughs> Couldn't see the big picture. Yeah. You're missing the forest for the trees. I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no, but you're right. And, and I just don't know what this person's end game is. Do you have any idea? Any predictions? My prediction is he wants to become more like he wants Kendia to become more powerful than Jan so that he can take over that place as well. Because obviously they have like no salt or whatever. Kendia and... has all the salt. Oh, they, they don't have... have water. Yeah. It's like very a drought riddled yeah. land apparently. So I'm guessing he's trying to like help get resources for his country. I don't know. Which is like also such a prescient take on how politics works in the yeah. real world, right? We absolutely have wars over water and resources and like fucking oil. I know. Why can't we just share stuff and be nice? This this book is, I don't know, the more we talk about it, the more I'm convinced that it's really a really interesting read. 
Yeah, I agree. I kind of forgot like all the stuff that happens until we start talking. Yeah, about me too. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, this this book is important. Oh, Read shit. this book. A lot happened. Kayan, this is yeah. a, this is you. Okay, Kayan is really going for this for the greater good bullshit. Very Dumbledore move. <laughs> <laughs> Very Dumbledore Grindelwald. Yeah. Um, I know he's doing what he thinks is best for Hesina so that she doesn't have to bend her morals to fit what the people want. But it does make... Um, but in doing so, he makes himself the villain of Hesina's story. And I think I get frustrated sometimes when characters who are so close don't just like... Like, why don't you just tell her? Like, you're a sooth and like you could see all this terrible stuff that's going to happen if she stays in charge. I get annoyed. Well, so you see, there's this thing about how fiction works. <laughs> and if there's no conflicts, then I'm still allowed to be annoyed. <laughs> yes, it's true. I That was one of those points of friction in the novel where you're just kind of like, why don't you just talk to each other? Yeah. Well, and I guess he's been keeping the secret from her his whole life. So then I kind of, you kind of get it. It, right. it just seemed weird initially in the context of like they seem to share everything with each other. So it's weird that he would keep this one thing and hold that back. But he's obviously not telling anyone Ob- for his own safety. Mm-hmm. I get it. I understand. But he still makes himself a villain, I think. It is one of those. This is one of those novels that this particular character, Kayan, is an example of how whether you're a villain just kind of depends on the perspective that gets taken. And and if you can make the case that this person is doing an okay thing, which makes them an even more interesting character. Right. And there is this constant commentary in Descendant of the Crane about using people right. as means rather than ends. Right. And philosophy goes down like a whole other, I mean, Kant and all sorts of people have opinions about that. Yeah. Um, and, the, and that keeps that crops up time and time again. It seems that villains, it's position. The novel is positioning itself on the side of if you use people as a means, then that's villainous right. and unethical. Right. Yeah. I don't really know how to feel about Kayan because I see where he's coming from. Like he's trying to protect Hasina, which in and of itself, I'm kind of like, does, does she need your protection? I'm not sure she does. Um, but, and I think in the end, he might be trying to free the Sooths and make a more like equitable country for everyone instead of just for some people. Mm-hmm. I'm just not sure he's going about it the right way. I think what we're seeing is the cycle that continues from what happened with Hasina's parents right. from one of the 11 and two of the 11 who then become the king and queen. Right. Um, about trying to do these, orchestrate all of this behind the scenes and right. on their own. And honestly, without consent, like a popular mandate. Right. And yeah, it's hard to change the minds of people. And that's what Hasina is now trying to do. So we see Kayan trying to go about it the same way. And Hasina trying to go about it a new way. Right. And I think it's going to be those two. That's going to be like the larger conflict in the rest of the series, I think. Yeah, you're probably right. It is um, funny, though, because I think some of what we don't see in this novel is how when someone is close to a person who would say is like on the outsides of society who's like not allowed it does normally make it so that there are a group of people who um like have empathy for them have sympathy for them and so you'll see some sympathizers in 
in the society and we don't really see very much of that and i think that might be like sympathizers with the suits you mean yeah like every it seems like every like that mom mentality really like picks up but you don't really see any non-suits trying to protect the people that the mob is trying to attack and i was a little surprised by that i think Hmm. i'm that's another good point that we should that making in this segment is that i mean sometimes the villains in this particular novel aren't individual actors right they're larger groups right and how that sort of mob mentality can take over as you were saying yeah um and about how even if you don't like silence is complicity you ready for some more deep cuts jesse i'm ready just as one does not simply walk into mordor one does not simply read fantasy without talking about representations of race class and gender this is our segment about power and bodies and how they relate Starting with race this time. All right. Let's talk about race. <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> okay. So I think that everyone reading this book should check out the Meet the Characters page on Joan Hay's website uh, to see what the characters look like. It was an interesting decision to choose all light-skinned Chinese character. In the illustrations, they are all white, like the white color of like a blank page on a computer screen, um, especially when the within the context of issues surrounding colorism in Asian culture. Um, I have a couple links that I'll link to in the show notes that talk about this. Um, I do think Hay is trying to create a story where the Seuss look just like the non-Seuss, and that I think this is the point... Um, I think that the point is that they all look the same, but I do think it ignores the wide range of what it means and looks like to be Asian. And I guess it's kind of difficult because we're confined to one country in this novel, but I was just, I don't know. I felt a little like off about it. I didn't, I hadn't checked out the website until you mentioned this. Yeah. Um, but I, I agree with you that it's clearly that clearly removing any exterior physical differences between suits and non-suits is a deliberate choice on Hay's part. And I right. think it's part of the, um, that's the reason the suits are so dangerous, quote right. unquote, and threatening to the overall power structures. Cause you can't tell who they are. Yeah. They're passing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Maybe in future novels, as the story goes on, we'll see more diversity, even within like what it means to be Asian. It seemed like Akira was the only person who was differently, racialized but not in a significant way but no. different hair yeah and i didn't understand if it's just because his hair was so short he couldn't put it up <laughs> and i like, thought it was a lighter color everyone's else's um, hair is black and his hair is a, a brownish color yeah you're right and his eyes are different yeah 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 so maybe akira is like our one exception mm-hmm. but this approach to race is very it's a very different one yeah and incorporating like the race and the magical system together is a very different one than what for example Tomi Adeyemi does in Children Mm -hmm. of Blood and Bone where the people have white hair the diviners have white hair and you can tell that they you know had access to magic at one point yeah I do think it was a deliberate choice I just I don't know I would have liked to see a little more racial diversity yeah yeah Hopes for the next books yeah. because they will be traveling around. So it might right. be kind of, that might be yeah. what happens. As long as like the bad guys aren't also darker. <laughs> I'm just gonna, just gonna put that out there. Manifest it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Children of Blood and Bone, did you notice the word maggot? I didn't. Really? No. Yeah, that came up with the the people calling the suits maggots, which is the same slur that shows up for the diviners in Children of Blood and Bone. 
at least it makes sense with the diviners because they have white hair and like are not the diviners yeah mm-hmm. the yeah. diviners like they have white hair so at least that kind of like parallels a little bit because like, maggots are white yeah 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 and in the book white things are bad <laughs> um but in, and out of the book and, yes that's uh, another conversation always white things are bad <laughs> <laughs> but no i did not did not catch that i it just it it to me signals this I'm I'm not like making a yeah. trying to make any sort of <laughs> argument about how this is like plagiarism or anything. I do not think it is at all. I just I think that this sort of like using this abject or this type of insect that's really connected in our cultural imaginary to decay and abjection and something that's disgusting and something that like leeches and is I don't know closest to death and closest to destruction it, it's just like so malicious I don't know it's it's just very very mean yeah I wonder if uh, I know our our racial slurs have changed over time but I wonder if this was like a slur used against other people non-white people um in the past like in the like our empirical historical past yeah hmm, yeah I don't know that's a good question I'll look it up <laughs> I have a race class segue. Okay. The suits seem to be primarily lower class, which did you notice that? Yes. And that's why Hasina goes to the red light district for lack of a better term. Is that what they call it? That is what they called it. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so she, they go there to find the silver iris to the sooth that they, that really one of the first sooth that we have close contact with that we realize we have close contact with. Fair point. Thank you. <laughs> and, Magic is grouped in with other taboo practices, like on the one hand, women embracing their sexuality and right. being like, I have sex because I like it. Right. And two, sex work. And that's not to say that, you know, those things always go together. They right. can. But I thought it was telling how those sorts of people who have been ostracized and who can't show who they really are have had to have been like relegated to lower classes and i think it makes a lot of sense given the like that's how oppression you know works over time like it gains a critical mass and keeps people down like oppressive systems that exist beforehand then contribute to things like the racial wealth gap because you don't have access to the legacies of wealth and it, it just seemed like a very you know accurate and prescient depiction of how that works yeah especially when you think about kayan and lillian like the the king I don't remember what his name is. Neither do I. One. <laughs> his name is One. Um, he found Kayan and Lillian like in the streets, like they were um, homeless. So I, yeah, I'm guessing that maybe they also have instances of, you know, even lower than like we would think of as like the working class have be- being soothes as well. And it's just a testament to about how it seems like there's in systems like this, there's plenty of resources to go around. Right. And, but yet there's still people experiencing homelessness right. or people living in extreme poverty. And it's right. like for, for what? Yeah. I don't know. Because like people like Shia Zhang are like hoarding money and doing nothing with it. That was something that I also wanted to talk about in this segment because I don't, that didn't, I was very confused by that. I was too. It didn't make any sense. No, not at all. 
what are you doing with it? Yeah. Is he like, does he have some sort of shell company or something <laughs> that he's, I don't know, is he some sort of like drug lord or is he maybe. angling to take over? Oh, I didn't think about it. I assume maybe he had some kind of plan to like get the fuck out of there when everything goes to shit. <laughs> but I don't know. Maybe he saw a sooth and they were like, collect all this money so that you can do something with it. I don't know what. It just seems strange to me that a person would hoard so much wealth without using it yeah yeah i can't imagine i don't know because it doesn't mean anything then no like what's the point you have it and so no one else does it's like it's just this um it's just taking that sort of like accumulative mindset that capitalism promotes yeah and taking it to the extreme to where it's not even really you don't even perform wealth anymore. It's just like having it close to you, like yeah. close to where you live and sleep is like comforting to him in some way. Yeah. I don't, it's, he would be a strange like psychological case study. I wonder if we'll get more background on him. Like something bad happened when he was younger. I love a villain backstory. You know me. I know you love a villain. You mean? I do. Hasina's relationship with the twins is pretty complicated because of the class difference between them. And to a certain extent, Hasina's relationship with her brother, Sang Sang Jing. I don't know. There was just like a lot going on there because she sees them all as siblings. But technically, she is a a class above all of that. Well, above everyone, really. Right. I don't know. It's just like super complicated everything. But I would say that at least Lillian, maybe not um Kayan and her brother didn't seem to like Lillian didn't seem to have any issue with the class difference in the same way that her brother did cross-class relationships are hard for me sometimes they make me want to barf mm-hmm. just because there's so much of a power differential right at work there and I do think that we see that a little bit in this novel about the Everyone is serving Hasina. Right. Lillian is working and serving her. Right. So is Kayan also serving her. And so there's like, at what point do they get to, were they just adopted in order to be like folded into this like machine of power hierarchies or did they, do they get to like be their own self-actualized human beings? I mean, they were adopted because one of the 12 had talked to a sooth who was like, you'll find these twins. They will help you change things. Hmm. so it wasn't even out of the goodness of his heart <laughs> means to an end here we yeah. go again <laughs> exactly yeah it's kind of complicated between all of them and i i mean but i guess to an extent akira as well and they seem to be like having a relationship or whatever starting a relationship complicated very life is complicated <laughs> Hasina needs the blessing of her mother to become the next monarch, possibly because the status of the parent is higher until the child actually becomes monarch, or because there's a higher importance placed on the respect of parental figures within this society that we're reading. Um, but that was just, I, I was I was like, I've never heard of this before. Like, who cares that much about what their parents think? <laughs> like, what is going on here? Lots of people. I know, I know. Just not me. <laughs> I'm like, fuck you guys. <laughs> um, That's why a lot of us are in therapy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And her mom is also like the worst. Oh. Okay. Actually, not the worst, but she is terrible. She's mean. <laughs> She's really mean. I mean, I might be disillusioned and mean too if I wanted to die and couldn't. And yeah, we're just like miserable. 
Yeah, right. Becoming a vampire seems like the best possible life outcome for me right now. So, like, <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> Although yeah, vamp- kind of, vampires kind of, can die. She's kind of a vampire. Yeah, she is. Like a mean one. A real mean vampire. Let's talk about gender. Let's do it. Hasina becomes the next monarch despite having a brother. Yes. I mean, like, I'm not all there for, like, monarchy or whatever, but I was also like, yeah, that is how it should work. Not a dude? Cool. <laughs> but I'm also like, like, it's ridiculous to me that um, Charles will become prince or king, even though he has a sister that's older than him. I mean, assuming that his mom ever dies, <laughs> that she doesn't live forever. She, she might be immortal. You heard it here yeah. first. She doesn't look young. She looks real old. <laughs> It's a ruse. It's a ruse. <laughs> everyone, she's like in a fake. Pr- she's just trying to get everyone play off. She's like inhabiting someone else's body. Um, so like I really appreciated this, and I know like the laws in England have changed now. Like, and their monarchy doesn't really have that much power, anyways. But I was just like, this is cool. I like this. I like birth order. You like how it, irrespective of gender, birth order takes precedence. Yeah, they have recently changed that in England so that it's birth order. Hmm. But women can rule. Obviously, do a great job at it. Not in this book, but like <laughs> other places. Along those same lines about like gender hierarchies and whether or not you're disrupting them, Hasina's father is one of the 11 and her mother is two of the 11. So just like those numbers and the order that they come in. Um, and I'm curious about the choice to preserve this traditional gender hierarchy in this situation. Hmm. And are we, I'm, just kind of was while I was reading the book was kind of questioning what am I supposed to make of this because it seems like this book is about overthrowing a lot of those structures and so then I started thinking so first I was kind of like uh womp womp this is a guy's number one and the woman's number two and like but (laughs) (laughs) sound effects thinking yeah sound effects (laughs) in this episode (laughs) then I started thinking I think with Hasina's character might signify a shift away from this traditional and normative model because right. she's not trying to be like top down power mm-hmm. wielding like Kayan is. She's not, I mean, she's not like she's a woman who's going to be in power, right? but then who is giving it up for the right reasons. She's going to go about trying to change people's minds and make her people better in general. So then when I started, like when that clicked into place, I was like, oh, okay, I get it. Do you have anything to say about that? No. (laughs) (laughs) I have done it. I have understood it. Um, Hasina's guard includes both men and women. And I was like, damn straight it should. That's really cool. That's all I have to say about it. I was just really happy. Mm -hmm. And along with that, Hasina can hold her own in a fight, which is probably a really good skill for a regent to have. Or a monarch in general. Yeah, like, they should be able to fight because, like, people will come after you. Isn't that, like... Inevitably. Yeah. Of course they will. That is kind of... So you're mentioning that it seems like there's a lot of gender balance. And mm-hmm. they're... I mean, it's still very binary. Yeah. We're yep. seeing that, like, just that disclaimer. But then it's kind of... I don't know, makes me wonder why we don't see any female villains then. Because it seems like only men are the people who are doing, like, bad shit. Because men are bad. (laughs) No tall men. (laughs) No tall. Yes, all tall men. (laughs) Shout out to Witch Please. Thanks, Witch Please, for that. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, because men are bad. 
they do bad things. Has, I guess Hasina's mother would really be the only kind of villainous female figure we see. Yeah, we didn't really talk about her under villains, but, you know, she's pretty trash. She's mean. She's mean. She obviously doesn't care about her daughter. She traumatized her children. Yeah, and has, well, one of them. The other one, she's like, that one's my favorite. <sighs> Don't have favorite kids. You guys are terrible. <laughs> so, some women and no tall men. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about bodies there's a lot of incarceration in this novel yeah a shit ton you wanted to talk about treatment of prisoners right yeah so when hasina is interviewing the prisoner who we learn is akira he comes to her bloody and bruised and the prisoners aren't allowed to have possessions and sooths and their colluders are not given legal counsel so we see that in this world prisoners not only don't have rights in some instances people who have committed crimes are then excluded from the legal system altogether they get no trial they are just like it's just decided that Hasina colluded with a sooth because of like hearsay <laughs> and also their their capital punishment is death by a thousand cuts like literally not metaphorically oh i mean I have heard of that before. Like it being an actual thing? I just hadn't, I just have oh, I've heard of it in the metaphorical sense. Like, oh, oh, that hurts a lot. You know, death by a thousand cuts. But I think, in, I mean, in this novel, they were talking about literally they would cut them a thousand times. Okay, I'm just going to look it up real fast. Ling Chi translated variously as the slow process, the lingering death or slow slicing, and also known by as death by a thousand cuts was a form of torture and execution used in China from roughly 900 CE until it was banned in 1905. It was also used in Vietnam. In this form of an execution, a knife was used to methodically remove portions of the body over an extended period of time, eventually resulting in death. Holy shit. Now I'm surprised that I've heard of it because I think I heard about it within like my karate classes where we learned a lot of stuff about Japan which doesn't seem to be included in that Wikipedia page. <laughs> but yeah, I guess I had heard of it before. Wow. That's wild. I had no idea. <laughs> Thanks for looking that up. You're welcome. Yeah, it's a terrible way to kill someone. I mean, I don't I don't I don't believe in capital punishment anyway, so Um also I just thought of this now that if the it's almost like a combination of so was it called Lichi? Linchi? Lingchi. Lingchi. Um because of the suits have blood that catches fire. It's almost like a combination then of witch burning. Yeah. Oh, and I did not think that. this death by a thousand cuts. Yeah. But also I'm guessing in the book, they use like a specific kind of knife to kill soothsayers so that their like wounds would cauterize before they could start catching on fire. Like that's just terrible. You shouldn't kill other people unless in self-defense. Then I'm like, yeah, do what I got to do. But fuck stand your ground laws. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm just saying if someone's trying to actively kill you. Right. I, that's so hmm, interesting that it's like a, almost like a witch burning meets this imperial torture technique. Which I guess makes sense because in a way they are witches. Yeah. They have magic powers. Definitely. It's just time related. To your point about um, torturing prisoners and like their treatment when they're incarcerated, I was kind of taken aback by the fact that when Hasina tells the guards not to harm the prisoners, that they don't listen to her. So I'm kind of wondering, like, who has then the ultimate say on how corporal punishment is or isn't doled out? Yeah, that's one of those things where I'm like, Hasina is the queen. Why are people not doing what she says to do? 
shouldn't they like be in trouble for like treason or something <laughs> shouldn't they be getting death by a thousand cuts she should change some laws just make them more strict so people have to listen to her and then she can do whatever she wants <laughs> <laughs> just be a despot that always works yeah like if you just become a dictator what are they gonna do there's no problem whatsoever <laughs> with that that has always gone okay mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i disagree don't become dis- dictators that was sarcasm yeah friends yes just in case <laughs> anything else about prisons Prison abolition and restorative justice are the way to go. Yeah. That's this podcast's stance. Finally, it's time for Shipwrecked, a segment about asexuality, sexuality, sex, romance, and relationships. And sometimes we take liberties and do some shipping of our own. I really enjoyed the friendship between Hasina and Lillian. I know we talked a little bit about their class differences earlier, and I do think that makes their relationship a little more murky um but they're really good friends and there's no cattiness or weird fighting over significant others with them which we often get in novels where there are female relationships yeah um there's obviously a power dynamic there but hasina seems to see both lillian and kayan as siblings and has better relationships with them than she does with her own brother until the end obvi um i just really appreciated that friendship between them and lillian is literally willing to die to protect Hasina and try and help her bring about a new like way of world order. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like a whole thing. The whole thing. That is true love. Yeah. I mean, revolutionary radical true love. (laughs) I'm not going to die for you, Kelly. Let me just put that (laughs) out there. I mean, like we're good friends, but like, no, (laughs) I got a cat to take care of. You can set that boundary. It's okay. Okay, I don't blame you. Thanks. But I still really like the relationship and, we didn't see like these traditional like female relationships where it's like they're super catty and like, oh, just like the worst. Or it's that scarcity mindset where yeah. whatever another woman is competition. Yeah. 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 I appreciated that. Definitely. Um, That makes me want to talk a little bit more about sibling relationships because in this book, I think those are the most potent, right. most like visible relationships and complicated relationship dynamics in the plot i think are between the siblings right between hasina and sanjing and then also hasina and lillian hasina and kayan kayan and sanjing because sanjing played a trick on kayan kayan almost died yeah a trick that's in quotes <laughs> that's some like loki levels of tricks right well, i don't there. think he meant to weren't they like seven? Oh, yeah that is, they that were tragic that you know so kids can be like literal psychopaths as well and i think that honestly the parental figures in this particular plot have a large role in how those sibling relationships either developed you know well or not so well would you say that is the case in real life as well like parents probably have a significant like power over how your relationships form with your siblings at least in the beginning yes yeah. Until you become adults doing your own thing and then yeah. either do or don't like find each other again. Yeah. Like that's what happened with my brother and I. Yeah. We weren't close at all until we became adults. Yeah. We fought all the time when we were younger. I'm like opposite. I think the parents had a lot to do with this, especially because the king, it's almost like he, well, both of the parents played favorites. Yeah. In a way. So. Right. The king was all about Hasina and then the queen was all about Sanjing. Yeah. But the king also seemed to, because I'm guessing of a prophecy he got from one of the sooths, he also 
seem to have like a close relationship with Kayan and Lillian. And I'm guessing that also upsets Sanjing. And I, yeah, he probably felt replaced and invisible. And replaced by Kayan with his relationship that he had previously had with his sister, Hasina, as well. Yeah, that's true. So replaced both in his father, his relationship to his father and also the relationship to his sister. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That would be difficult. That would be hard. That would be really hard. Poor Sanjing. And then his girl died. Well, not. didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> what do you think about the Akira and Hasina ship? The problem is I really like Akira. Me too. He's so witty. Yeah. And I love that. And like bantery. And oh, just... I love that bantery stuff. Yeah. Hello, Resand. Yeah. And what's his face? King of Scars. I haven't read it yet. Oh, um, Nikolai. Yeah. Like I love Nick. Like I just love that kind of person, I guess. But I don't like, we don't get that many interactions between the two of them. So I'm like, what? They're both so awkward. I know. Maybe it's, <laughs> I guess they're young. Maybe it's supposed to be like, you know, young people in love is awkward. <laughs> That's true. It is awkward. Yeah. I guess like relationships are awkward in the beginning either way. Definitely. I just don't know why they're together. Proximity. Yeah, I guess that's probably right place, right time. Yeah. Yeah. What what do you feel about the relationship? I it's kind of cute. Yeah. I guess in like a really innocent, naive way about how they're both like, Welp, I haven't really been able to be honest with anyone before, so here it goes. So I appreciated that organic development right. of, of their confidence in one another mm-hmm. and their how their trust grows between the two of them. I thought that was really sweet. Do you want them to be together? I don't know. Okay. I, it's time for ships shipwrecked that's true <laughs> i mean i guess maybe i'm intrigued by the tattoo hello <laughs> i like tattoos yeah i can get on board with that i like smart people with tattoos yeah i just love tattoos i'm curious to see where this goes in future books yeah i'm assuming we'll get more actual interactions between the two of them in the future because they're like literally running away together um so yeah, I'm assuming we'll this will be built upon Definitely. in the future. At least I hope so. Seems like we have like an Elias and Laya situation, right? An yes. assassin, mm-hmm. and then which I'm also like another that's girl. Hot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know how to do stuff. Okay, cool. <laughs> you know how to kill people. That's like oh, I love that. <laughs> that was my white girl voice. <laughs> <laughs> she uses it on the phone, listeners. Yeah. I've heard it. <laughs> I do. I do the book um just for in general terms seems v hetero correct i would say mostly yes i think this was a little complicated with lillian and kayan i wrote down in my notes that they seem to be like not sticking to like the parameters of their gender as like what you know gender norms um in what way i don't know lillian seemed like she was like more like physically 
like jokey with Hasina and she I don't know I don't know now I don't remember mostly I think I remember Kayan like Lillian making fun of him for reading erotica which was like hilarious like funny to me in a way because I was just like where did that come from I'm like good for you read as much erotica as you want yeah exactly but at the same time it turned out to not be true which I was like oh that's boring <laughs> what was he reading I forget I don't remember <laughs> something way more boring than erotica i'm sure yeah obvi <laughs> um but now i don't remember like why i thought that about lillian so we don't see any queer couple no. like queer representation in the book right i'm not misremembering no we don't i don't think so even lillian is like let's just move to this one place like the hot guys will make up for how cold it is <laughs> oh, like, no it won't but like you do that <laughs> So yeah, yeah, you're pro- you're right. I think you're right. So that's kind of, I mean, you know, I'm all about queer representation. Yeah. We should have that in all of our books. Make it queer. <laughs> Make it queer. Now we're going to talk about writing style, narration, characterization, plot structure, and basically whatever else comes to mind in a segment we call Kill Your Darlings. There were a few moments where I wanted to yell, show, don't tell. I won't yell it now because that's rude. Um, Like when Akira is telling his story, like his background story. And I wanted to just like shake the author and be like, like the number one rule of storytelling is show, don't tell. Like stop telling me what happened. Show me what happens. And I got, I just was like very annoyed in those instances. That's so funny because I didn't find that annoying at all. Really? Really. Oh, I love when I get that exposition. Like, finally, I figure maybe it's because maybe finally I figure out what happens or I'm told what happens. Maybe this is like a deeper love for spoilers. Probably. Maybe this connects. I'm feeling like they're connected somehow. This is like my, my creative writing classes. Like I can see my like professor writing show don't tell like or tell you know, like in our workshops, like. But don't don't rules exist? Don't aren't you supposed to learn the rules and then break them? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a rule that I believe in, though. Like I get, I'm like, this is too. Like there shouldn't be this much exposition on a page. Like Hmm. I just get annoyed. I guess maybe one way to do that differently, I would be like a different, like switching perspective, like with what happens with Kayan at the end. Yeah, but I'm also like, you could have. It's hard because I know this is kind of a way of telling, but you could have Kayan. No, you could have Akira like telling Hasina what happened instead of just putting it all in exposition. Like, where did this information come from? It was just weird. Hmm. I don't know. I just want to be like fully engulfed in the story. So I don't want someone to just like, here's what happened. Here are the facts. Here are the bullet points. I'm like, well, cool. I'm just like such a information sponge. You are. That that doesn't bother me. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. We're allowed to have different preferences. It's true. (laughs) As far as writing style and plot structure goes, this is an enigma-style mystery plotline combined with fantasy, which, I mean, I haven't seen recently. I can't remember having seen that. I don't really read mystery. I don't really enjoy it, so I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) At least you're admitting what you don't know. I mean, that's what people should do. Like, I don't know what enigma-style mystery means. Oh, really? Yeah. Also, it's like there's there's a problem that needs solving. That's oh. an Enigma style mystery. Oh, okay. Rather than like a thriller, for example. Oh, okay. So okay. like Silence of the Lambs would be an example of a thriller. No? I haven't seen that. Or the movie? Or... You haven't seen the movie? 
I'm not a big horror person. It's I will, a thriller. Yeah, but like, mm, are people being like kidnapped <laughs> oh, and like it. cut into pieces? Like, I don't want to yeah, see people's skin killer. being stolen. I do love serial killer stuff. I will watch Jordan Peele horror. End of list. Have you seen Us? Not yet. It just came out yesterday. Me either. I haven't seen it. <laughs> I'm not sure I'll see it in theaters because I get real scared. I'm too scared. I can't. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Enigma style plots are where there's a core um, mystery that needs to be solved. So any of your Sherlock Holmes style traditional detective fiction stuff. Okay. Then let me just say that I like mystery when I can watch it on TV. I don't like reading it. Hmm. You don't have to participate in it. You want it to happen to you. Well, no. I guess as a viewer, you're participating. I like the visual aspect because I feel like you can see more of what's like the clues are given to you, but they're not told to you. So I, hmm. I like want to try and figure it out for myself. And I don't feel like I can do that in a book because I only get the details that the author gives without seeing like a full room of things. But you know what I mean? Even the full room of things that you see is still being given to you. I know. But then I'm like, someone I can figure it out what to give to you I or know. not give to you. I know. But like a book doesn't give that like level of detail. And then if hmm. they do, I'm annoyed. So interesting. Yeah. Then yeah. you're like, shut up. Tell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that what I sound like? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I can't think of um, another story recently that I've read where the fantasy comes in with a mystery plot line. I don't know. I thought that was like a, an interesting way to move the plot to like have that be like the plot motor and just it seems for book one because I'm it's looking like the series is going to take off and do maybe a little bit more of like a traditional fantasy trajectory chosen right. one slash on like how's this couple yeah going to get through this together and yeah destinies I, and larger yeah. narratives and stuff like that. I did enjoy it like it was not like something I've read before. So it did feel kind of like a mix of mystery and fantasy. And I thought that was cool. If it's a mystery that you enjoyed reading, then I'd say it's a win. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I really enjoyed how each chapter started with excerpts of the tenants. I knew it. When I saw that, I was like, <laughs> Kelly is going to love this. Why? Well, I don't know why I loved it so much. I, I mean, I, I loved it when we saw those like manuscript pages from in the poppy war of- it's because you love like intertext text oh my god i do love intertext <laughs> it's so true i'm such a nerd you are maybe that's like the literary scholar in me coming it's out the ravenclaw in you you are such a ravenclaw <laughs> so that i like is are there books within books within books within books okay i'm on board whereas i'm like I'm already reading one book. I can't be having other books within this book. I'm already reading like a whole other, you know, like I'm like, this is too much. <laughs> well, I'm all about it. I thought it was rad. I knew you were going to love it. <laughs> Recommend if you like. Okay. So I know a lot of people have been car- comparing this book to Game of Thrones. It didn't seem Game of Thrones to me. It didn't to me either. Um, and to me, it rings a bit of like throne of glass or mortal instruments, like parents keeping secrets and trying to like, I don't mm. know, like figure out this whole big mystery kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, this is unlike anything I read before. And I think that's okay. Yeah. Complicated relationship dynamics, complicated character interactions, complicated protagonist. Um, yeah. But really, really complex, nuanced takes on politics and corruption and power. Yeah, which I really enjoyed. And I do think we get elements of that, obviously, in other books that we've read before. But I don't think, like, I know it's very important to publishers 
boo to like have comp titles like comparative titles that they can compare something to and but i just don't feel like this book fits into the mold of something i personally have read before and i think that should probably be assigned to publishers like it doesn't always need to line up with something else like you can have something new and fresh and different and it can still do really well absolutely and i do think that gets a little bit that's particularly important when we take in to account like the whitewashing yes and how white publishing can be and how those comparisons are usually always to white texts yeah right like um <laughs> like when some person said that like Nettie Okorafor like Akata Witch is the mm-hmm. like Harry Potter of Africa or something they did the same Children of Blood and Bone was the Harry Potter like black Harry Potter and I'm like, like I don't appreciate those sorts of I don't it it just also there's not even a school for wizards and children of blood and bone so like what is the Harry Potter comparison there I, I just don't really I don't like those comparisons at all because guess what the point of comparison usually always is and it's like anglophone white yeah. imperial culture yeah there was a really good article about comp titles and how it has worked against people of color yeah um, I'll link to it in the show notes but I think we should have more books that are different how will people find what they like like mm-hmm. you might attract different kinds of readers publishing is like very infuriating to me in that it's about money because capitalism Ugh. yeah but sometimes i think you should publish a book because it's important and because it's doing something Mm -hmm. or saying something and money should not be like the be all end all and then i think also the other side of the coin of that relationship is the readers so i think as the consumers of these goods of these texts we need to be open to if it doesn't just have like a Game of Thrones comp or yeah. if it's just like, it's like, you know, the Grisha verse, yeah. but not, yeah, but slightly different or the characters are a different color then yeah, I think as readers, then we need to be more critical as in like a critical eye of yeah. how things are being sold to us. Yeah, definitely. And opening our doors beyond those sorts of like comp titles. Yeah. I saw this book everywhere on Twitter and obviously it'll be out by the time the episode comes out but i was also like that's a beautiful cover i want to read that (laughs) before we end it's time for real talk did reading this book make your perspective change in any way or did it make you interrogate a concept system trend you hadn't before yes let's hear about it i have two things that i want to talk about here first is disillusionment with parental figures that is a core core thing that is happening on like a deep character arc level in this book and that shit is real and it is hard yeah yes just like believe your parents are trash forever and then you'll just like never feel bad about how terrible they are <laughs> oh my god my you'll advice never be- <laughs> you'll never be disappointed if you already think they're terrible wow wow it's true though so uplifting <laughs> <laughs> well it's better than thinking your parents are amazing and then finding out they're terrible which is what happened to Hasina. yeah well she never thought her mom was amazing she thinks she was just like always terrified of her mother that mom stuff was like dang that sucks yeah that's that was hard yeah and also to like feel like you've just been lied to by your dad forever about like really important stuff like who you are as a human being like you might be immortal (laughs) it's funny because that part to me i was just kind of like okay like that seems like a reasonable lie to tell a kid 
I kind of get that one. Like, like it's not age appropriate. They just, they can't know that their parents are immortal. I don't know if it's like not age appropriate because like, I think a parent gets to decide what's age appropriate for their kid, but I'm just kind of like, like what, what concept does a kid have of immortality kind of, you know? Hmm. And this was her dad's way of telling her. Now I do think he went about it the wrong way. Like don't fake like his suicide death. note. His like quasi suicide note. Yeah. And like faking his death. And like, then she like digs up the grave and apparently he's still alive. He's young now. He was yeah. using suits to make himself look older. Yeah. So I don't a hundred percent agree with the way he went about it, but I'm like, all right, wait to tell your kid till they're older. But I- she was older. Yeah, he should have told her. He should have told her before he premeditatedly went into his, like, sleeping beauty slumber. Yes. Yes, he should have. I was just also kind of like, wow, you just found out you're immortal and you're pissed your dad didn't tell you? Like, you have forever to figure this out. Oh, I don't know if she's immortal. <laughs> she you don't think so? I think she might be, but we don't know. I thought it was, like, kind of what Kayan was trying to say when he was like, you shouldn't have survived when, like, the prison part blew up. And she like covered San Jing to save him. I thought that she because he used his magic. Oh, did he? Yeah, he used his magic to get her out of the way. Oh, and so did May. May used the magic to like blow to like manipulate time, like space time. But she also she uh, Hasina seemed very badly hurt, and people were like not sure if she was gonna live. So I was like, "Is, is Hasina immortal? I don't know. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't interpret that that way, but I think that that is compelling evidence we'll see because hasina doesn't know kayan is a sooth correct yeah dramatic irony readers have that information yeah yeah so i don't know anyway anyway back to parents it all comes back to parents that's what therapy has taught me (laughs) not everything but some things um and so i i think that this disillusionment is really important because that's when we see younger characters then starting to go out and do things their own way right which is what Kai, what Kayan is not doing. We're seeing him repeat old patterns. And so right. Hasina is going out and doing her own thing. And I think the disillusionment was really important for that. Otherwise, she wouldn't have done that. Yeah, I, I agree. Okay. Number two of my real talk points. Second of two. Tenants, constitutions, religious texts. This book really made me think about the power that written texts have over human life. And maybe a better way to phrase that would be the power that we give written texts over our lives. It's a lot of power. It's like every religion, every... mm, Most governments. Yeah. And the people who are um, fanatically adhere to their government, like, trust them too much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Institutions and people are fallible. And texts aren't perfect. Yeah. And a lot of the times they be, they can be interpreted and deployed for really oppressive, um, to really oppressive ends, not liberatory ends. Right. Yeah. And we see that a lot, probably in the United States, mostly with like Christianity um, and the way it's been in, uh, translated so many different times and mm-hmm. the words change. Different versions of it say different things, kind of. Yeah. Or different approaches to how to interpret text, not even just like different words right like different interpretations am i going to make this a living document taking it out of out of the context in which it was or understand the context in which it was written and then like update that to reflect our reality or are we going to be like originalist i don't even know like there's a word for that 
I don't know. Some sort of like judicial word about like interpreting the constitution word for word and not like updating it. Oh, that sounds like a terrible idea. That was like Antonin Scalia's whole thing. Anyway, um, texts are important. And that's why I think like what we're doing with the podcast is really important. And so critical thinking in general and critical reading skills are in general are really, really crucial. Yeah. And it's good to have like different perspectives, like hear different perspectives on things, which is why we always love to hear from our listeners. Let us know what you think. Thanks for listening to JK It's Magic. We'll be back in two weeks for a discussion of Dread Nation by Justina Ireland. And watch out for the occasional mini-sode about a range of fantasy-adjacent topics. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at JKMagicPod. Post or tweet about the show using the hashtag CriticallyReading. Do you have an idea for a book that we should add to our TBR? Email us at JKMagicPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your suggestions. If you know someone who would enjoy the podcast, please spread the word. You can subscribe to JK It's Magic on the podcast app of your choice. And we would really appreciate it if you would rate and review. JK It's Magic is recorded on land traditionally belonging to Cheyenne, Ute, and Arapaho native peoples. Until next time, stay magical. ready for some more deep cuts jesse i don't know where we are we're on one does not simply okay i was like show us your fix but we don't have anything no we don't okay (laughs) i'm so sorry i was like where where are you i'm going off script (sighs) okay i'm a rebel